Welcome to Uplifting Women podcast. This podcast is sponsored by upliftingwomen.net, as well as Holly Tesca Coaching and Consulting and Regent Leadership Group. Join our co-hosts, Holly Tesca and Kristen Strunk, thought partners in the world of leadership, equality, and personal and professional development. Listen as they bring stories of inspirational women and their allies who are working every day for authentic leadership, equality, and inclusion in business, education, and community. These are the stories of the people whose mission it is to ensure others are seen, heard, and respected. They've overcome challenges in the workplace and the world or supported other women in doing so. Holly and Kristen are committed to uplifting women's voices, sharing inspiration, advice, and maybe even a few laughs from women and their allies about the work they are doing to promote inclusion and equality in our world. They believe that by sharing stories of challenge and triumph, we can all make the world a better place as we inspire others to step fully into their personal leadership space. We are so happy you have joined us today for our conversation. Welcome to another episode of Uplifting Women. This is Kristen Strunk, and I'm here with my co-host, Holly Tesca. And we are really excited to introduce our guest today. And her name is Lori Schmidt. She is an expert in the recruitment process outsourcing space. She has over 17 years of experience managing recruitment teams and services as a strategic partner to her clients. She finds the right talent for their teams. So currently, Lori is a client service director for CLO, the world's leading strategic recruitment process outsourcing. So if you think about that, we call it RPOs in the HR circles. And she is really enjoying her work at CLO because she is that able to be committed to helping her clients attract and hire better talent faster all while providing world-class candidate experience. Lori has also worked as a corporate recruiter for companies such as Schneider National, We Energies, GE, Manpower, and Johnson Controls. Throughout her career and personal life, Lori has had numerous experiences that have molded her into not just a survivor, but a thriver. She lost her job three times due to poor fit, job eliminations, and the economic downturn in 2009. She spent 10 months unemployed at that point, but she also struggled with two marriages that resulted in divorce. Despite facing such adversity in her life, Lori chose to learn and grow from those experiences. She realized there are things in life that are just out of our control. We choose how we will respond to those situations. We choose if we will let these obstacles consume us or if we will rise above. Lori chose the latter and allowed those experiences to guide her towards her authentic self. During her search for her authentic self, she has built a strong career as an enthusiastic leader who is transparent, holds people accountable, and helps others realize their potential. Recently, she celebrated her eighth wedding anniversary by choosing to stay true to what is important to her and in her marriage. She believes that when people connect to their authentic selves and lead from a place of honesty, their lives naturally improve and become more fulfilling in all areas. What a wonderful introduction, Lori. Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you. I appreciate the opportunity to to share a little bit more of what my story is. And I guess the best place for me to start is to, when I was talking with Holly not too long ago, 
I'm like, what in the heck could my story be? I don't have a story. And she's like, Lori, everybody has some kind of a story. And so I started to think about it a little bit further. And I'm like, I got it. It is being your true, authentic self. And how did I come to that? Looking at what shaped me to finally get to be that true, authentic self. And I would say it starts started when I was growing up, right? I had, I did not have a good relationship with my father. He would give me, bribe me, if you will. I was in, for example, if you do this, I'll give you that, the quid pro quo stuff. But I was in a drill team and this was in seventh, eighth and ninth grade. And he mentioned, boy, Laura, if you become a director at this, with this, I'll buy you a car. And who at 16 years old doesn't want a car? Guess what? All those promises never came through. So it was like starting to learn that, all right, I can't really depend on someone, even though it makes me push to try and do better. I can't rely on what the result is going to be. So it's only me who's responsible for what I do and how I get there. And so I think that really started to shape that side of it. And then as I get through college and I thought I knew what I wanted in life, I thought marriage was you get married once and that's for life, right? Guess what? There's two people involved and there's two totally different circumstances. With this, my first husband, we were married for five years. I found out he was gay. This was back in the late 80s that I found this out. And at that time, it was very taboo, right? So I didn't want to tell anybody what was going on. I was embarrassed, right? So I'm hiding who I really am, what I'm feeling, because I didn't want to share it with anyone. So Lori, can I ask you, can I ask you a question? So you're right. The late 80s, that was not a time of immense openness about people's preferences. Not certainly not like it is today. You said you were embarrassed. You didn't want anybody to know. But aside from that, I mean, that obviously you're hiding because you feel as though you've made a bad choice or a bad decision. However, I, you know me, I'm always the Pollyanna. Maybe your husband didn't really know that yet at that time, or maybe he was in denial about it. I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt, you know, but what was really going on for you internally, aside from the embarrassment? I felt it was my fault. If I would have only been a better wife, if I would have only done this, if I would have only done that. So I struggled with that. And after about three years, I started dating again and I dated someone for two years thinking, oh, I'll know this person now, right? We get married. (laughs) 10 years later, I find out he's a cross-dresser. And so now this is the second time. So now to really answer your question, Holly, I'm looking at it and saying, what the heck am I doing? Why am I selecting these kind of men? What am I doing to attract them into my life when that's not what I want? And granted, be your Pollyanna. I'm going to give everyone the benefit of the doubt. 
that's who they are. And God bless them for coming out and being their true authentic selves in the end. But it was very difficult to go through that. So after my second divorce, which was in 2006, I swore off men. I said, I'm never going to get married again. But then I started to think about it a little bit differently and say, okay, what can I do to not let this happen again? Because I don't want to be single the rest of my life. And so I created a list. And on this list, I really put some time into this. There was, this is what I must have in a partner. This is what I, well, it would be nice to have. And then here are my absolute knots. When I started dating again, I took that piece of paper and I held it up and I matched it to every single person I talked to. Check them off my list. Check them off my list. Nope, not going to be. Because I didn't want to make those same mistakes again. I didn't want to give away who I truly am and what is important to me just to say, oh, I got a boyfriend. Oh, I'm going to get married. It's, it, it's more important to me to figure out this third time around, three times a charm of what I really want and what I needed in my life and what I'm looking forward to in my future. So that helped me to get through that. And I realized, gee, I guess it wasn't me who was the all the problem. I'll take my own responsibility for it. There's two people into a relationship, but I can't blame myself for it. What I could do is choose how I'm going to avoid that situation in the future. And what I think is so interesting about that, Lori, is the way that we would think about it now, maybe a little bit differently in terms of, to your point, those two people felt at some point that they had to be their authentic self, which negatively impacted you and your relationship, but then it also caused you not to feel as if you could be your authentic self with the people around you and explain what was happening and what was going on. And so it's interesting how those things impact and perhaps maybe even build some empathy in you as a leader. Do you find you're bringing some of that into your leadership skills and your team? Totally. 100%. Because it is all who I am. I'm very sensitive. I will hold people accountable to do their job. But I also have a heart. And I don't want anyone to feel that they are just a bad person, that they're making all these bad choices. What's the rationale behind that? And so taking that and looking at it from a career perspective, I think it's always looking at how can we improve? How can I help my team members be who they are and what's most important to them and help them find that? Sometimes the job I have or the job they're in isn't the right fit, but help them to come to that realization or that understanding that maybe you are right. Maybe I do need to look at something else where I would be much happier. And when people leave, they might be a really good recruiter that is working on my team. And I hate to see them leave. But I also tell them, I want you to be happy. And if being happy is leaving this job and doing something different, I support you 100%. And I think that really looking at that empathy piece has made a difference. 
Yeah. Context is so important, isn't it? Yeah. And when you're running fast and hard and things are flying, it's sometimes hard to put yourself in a position where you can step back and see the broader picture. And certainly our life experiences help us to do that and teach us that continuing to do the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result. It's the definition of insanity. But how often do we all do that? It's human nature to not enjoy change, to not want to shake things up because that change is hard. It's painful. Mm -hmm. It takes a lot of energy. It takes a lot of focus. Just by you realizing that, hey, I need to step back from this whole situation and reassess and try to figure out, I've had two failed marriages at this point, what is it that I need to do differently this next time around? I mean, it's huge. It's totally huge. It's really helped me and I'm in the best place that I could be as far as happiness. It is, I varied the things that are important to me and I've carried that through to my personal life, to my work life, to just my friends, to everyone, to just say, this is who I am. And I don't care if you don't like me. I'm going to treat you with respect. I am going to keep my sense of humor. Um, And sometimes I find my sense of humor comes in at the most weird, the weirdest times when you're stressed or it's a tense situation, but that's who I am. And that's how I like to break the ice sometimes. Laughter is great medicine. We all know that. That's so true. That's so so true. So let's shift a little bit and talk about your career. I've known you for a lot of years. And what's really interesting as Kristen was going through your bio, I realized, and I had forgotten this, that we originally met when you were at We Energies. Yes. Back in the HR association. Yep. Yes. We originally, and I forgot that. I completely forgot that. So that was a smile for me today. You've been through some ups and downs too, trying to figure out what the right place is for you in terms of your career, your role in leadership. So talk a little bit about that journey too. Sure. I moved to Milwaukee area. I grew up in Green Bay. And after my first divorce, I decided, hey, it's time. I'm going to break out of the city. I did something that I never thought I would do because I've always been a mama's girl. I moved by myself from Green Bay to Milwaukee. Um, It was very scary, but it was like, I'm ready to embrace this. I need the change. So when I came here, I was in more of a headhunter type role. And this is the one that really wasn't a job fit. I'm supporting myself. I, from a recruitment standpoint, it was for a consulting firm. It was run like military. He was an ex-military recruiter. So you had to hit exactly this many calls every day, and if you didn't, you're not a fit for this job. Guess what? I wasn't a fit for that job because I'm not that kind of a person. So that was a realization for me to say, you can't just take any job that's out there or think money is the main motivator for everything you do. You have to look at what do you really enjoy doing and what are you measured against and how are you held accountable to know, is this the right fit for me? So I've never gone back into a role like that because it just, I wouldn't survive in it. Lori, sorry to interrupt. Knowing you, you are really invested in people and knowing them. 
So recruiting, while in many respects is a numbers game, how many calls Mm -hmm. do you make? At the same time, you also have to have a warmth about you that would make somebody want to have a conversation with you and consider changing jobs. That was a great awareness on your part at a young age to say, culture, this isn't the right culture for me. And that was long before we were talking about culture fits, right? True. Very true. Yeah. Yeah. And so then I did go back to, I I needed a job. I was let go. I was devastated. But again, it goes to how do you respond to that? And so I found another position. I ended up at We Energies at the time. And there, it was a very large older organization that had a lot of bureaucracy. And I'll say there was some favoritism in that role. I moved on from that role. I went over to Manpower I've worked for. I went to Johnson Controls. Then I started into the RPO space. And when I first started in that space, it was my first real leadership job that I had gotten. And it was a real small boutique kind of firm. And I thought, well, this is a little bit different than just the numbers game, because you're right. It's working with clients. It's building those relationships. It's starting to build your team and ensure that I have a good relationship with my team that I'm supportive and uh, can help them through. But then the other things that started to, I started to see even from previous jobs that I had all the way to this job was, I don't like how some of these people are treating me. And it's more from a leadership standpoint, right? And I guess I look at it now, at the time I was devastated, but now I look at it and say, I'm really blessed to have been able to work with some not so great leaders because it taught me what not to do. And so as I continue on, I lost my job during the economic downturn that was the worst thing that ever happened to me. I was single again at the time, didn't know what I was going to do. 10 months was a long time, right? Of really not being able to find a job. And I know there were a number of people who were like that, but I had a lot of time to reflect during that. And yes, I was angry. Yes. I looked at all the people in my past life who had dissed me or who have not come through when I thought they were going to be able to come through. And I, I, I didn't really know what to do. So I prayed, I prayed and I prayed that God would just help me trust. And it was to trust people again, men, to trust an employer again, to trust that I was going to get through this and that I was going to be able to pick my life back up and find happiness in all realms of it. It took a long time. It took a lot of praying. It took a lot of self-talk to get to that point of trust. But I also remember how it felt when some of these leaders didn't treat me with respect or there was favoritism or there were shouting matches at me. And I'm like, nobody deserves to feel this way. So again, as I started to get back into the workforce again, after that long 10 months out, I was still in a leadership role and I kind of had my list in my mind again, as far as 
how do I want to treat people? I want to be respectful. I want them to always have their dignity, no matter what. We all make mistakes. We are going to make the wrong choices, but it's what do we do with that once that mistake has been made? And one of the things I always tell my team, and I kind of laugh at it because it's, I guess, not the best analogy, but don't micromanage anyone. And I will give them enough rope to hang themselves. And when they're choking and the stool is out from under their feet, I'm going to push it back under, help loosen up that rope and brush them off and say, okay, now let's look at what happened. How do we get steered back into the right, right direction? And I think with also just staying, remembering what it felt like to me when I did something wrong, or maybe I didn't do something wrong, but a leader came down on me in a negative way. I have learned that being transparent with your team, sharing with them, there's bad news we all have to deliver as a leader from time to time. There is, there's hard news that has to be delivered. We have to meet these numbers. We have to do these things, but there's different ways of doing it. It's not beating someone over the head. It's the encouragement. It's the let's talk about this. If you have a concern on, talk to me about it. Really, it's only a job. It's not life or death. I don't want anyone to stress over something over the weekend and lose sleep over it when all they had to do is pick up the phone and let's talk about it. And telling people I'll help them in any way that that they may need some help or to re-explain something. It's funny. um, As you talk about lessons learned from bad leaders, I can, I if I had a dollar for every time somebody told me that the greatest lessons they've learned was from the worst leaders, I could retire a wealthy woman. It's, and to be honest, same is true in my situation. You learn, you know exactly what you don't want to be like. Totally. Yes. Yeah. And that, I think that is really important. And again, staying true to yourself and saying, yeah this is what I like. This is how I like to be managed. This is how I like to be treated. And just do that same thing back to those that work that you work with or your customers and people follow you from client to client or company to company when they feel that they have that relationship with you and that it's authentic. That is not, I'm changing who I am just because of this situation or that situation. It's no, you treat everybody with respect. You treat everyone. I'm not, yes, there are some differences in how you manage different people, but you have to encourage, you have to coach, you have to redirect, make them feel supported, make them feel important and praise when we do, when you, when we need to praise people. And also sometimes just stop. Sorry, I think I've probably known you for 20 years as well, at least. And I think that's something that I really respect in you that you really do what is what you get. There's not a hidden agenda. There's not gamesmanship that's going on behind the scenes. People are lucky to have you as their leader, I would say. Thank you very much. (laughs) Thank you. That makes me feel awesome. (laughs) And And you should. You've worked hard. (laughs) I have. And when you do hear just a little comment of someone say, that's why I love you, Laura. That's why I want to work with you. It's yes, I'm doing it. I'm doing what I need to do. I'm doing what I've, 
who I am, what I'm made to do and who I'm made to be. And I think that's amazing because I'd love to hear then what your advice is for people, even young women in the workforce who might Mm -hmm. struggle to be authentic because they're afraid they won't be taken seriously, or they're afraid that they're going to make a misstep, or I'm just curious as to what you would tell them about this piece of authenticity in who you are and bringing that into the workplace. What's the value of that for you? I would say that the advice would be, number one, try and stay positive, right? We all have choices that we make. We can't always choose or change things that happen to us, but we can choose how we respond to those. And you can play the victim or you can rise above that. I would say that that we're all going to make mistakes from time to time. We're all going to make poor judgment decisions. We're all going to just do something too fast and oops, I totally screwed that up. The most important thing is to make sure that you provide an update to your boss or whoever you need to when that does happen. So nobody's blindsided. It's best to get out in front of it, except the fact that we're going to, like I said, we're going to make mistakes, but learn from that. How do we not have that happen again? And how would you, what, who, what type of a person would you rather be when you walk into a room? Would you like to be the light or would you like to be the darkness? And I can personally say when, and I've had people share this with me multiple times, Lori, when you walk into a room, you get noticed on things. And it's not because I'm laughing or I'm making a big noise or trying to stumble into the room and you get the attention, but positive attracts positive. And that negative, you can feel it so, so quickly. Stay, stay true to what's important to you. Take some risks. We're all going to have to do that, but learn from it. And I always tell my team, it is not a mistake if we learn something from it. And we're all going to make those mistakes. But be the light. Don't give up. Keep the golden rule. Treat others as you want to be treated. And when you do that, you really figure out what's important to you. And don't compromise. Don't compromise. If you have someone who is being unethical that you work with, you don't have to be unethical with them, right? You can choose to go find another job with a company that you're going to feel better about. If you have a boss who is really coming down on you or you're feeling like you're being treated unfair, take a look at yourself. Is that true or is it not? But you have a choice. Am I going to stay there or am I going to go find something else that is a better fit for me and where I want to be and where I can find happiness? Terrific advice. And I love the idea about being the light. Be the light when you walk in the room. There's enough darkness out there. We don't need that. I feel really inspired. Another one other piece of advice that I would say is we have advice. We have experiences that we can share with many people. And when someone's looking for help, 
be open to them and help them. I have people come up and say, ask me questions about jobs. And I'm like, what do you even want to do? And try to help those people feel, be authentic about what is true to them as well. Never pass up those opportunities. That's great advice, Lori. People sometimes are reluctant to even go ask for help or advice because mm-hmm. they think they're imposing on someone. But what they need to remember is the person that's returning that gift to you, they get a, they get an uplift from that as well. Right. And that's what we're all about is uplifting, but always remember, don't hesitate to ask for help because the person that can provide that help is also getting a benefit from that as well. It's wonderful that you embrace as a way of being give back to others. It It comes back to you tenfold. It really does. It, It does. It does. And I'm very appreciative to the people in my life. And Holly, you are one of them who have given back to me and helped coach me from time to time throughout my career. And it's people like you, people like Kristen, people like me, and many others who we've all gotten or learned something from someone else. And you're absolutely right. Giving it back is one of the greatest gifts that I think that there is. Absolutely. I came into this afternoon feeling a little tired and I have to tell you, I feel really upbeat now. (laughs) So thank you for that. You're more than welcome. Makes me feel really good. (laughs) Laurie, if people want to connect with you, where should they, where can they find you? Yeah, no problem. I'm going to give you my work email address and that is Lori, L-A-U-R-I-E dot Schmidt, S-C-H-M-I-D-T at C-I-E-L-O talent.com. And you can also find me, I'm on LinkedIn. So I'm on Facebook. You can certainly find me in those aspects as well. But if you want to send something, feel free to send it to my work address. Thank you so much for joining us today, Lori. It has been an uplifting conversation because I feel very light and airy right now. I'm happy to hear that. You are more than welcome. It's my pleasure. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you so much for listening in on this latest episode of Uplifting Women podcast. Holly and Kristen appreciate your dedication to uplifting women and look forward to you joining them again soon. This podcast is sponsored by upliftingwomen.net, as well as Holly Tesca Coaching and Consulting and Regent Leadership Group. Please visit your favorite platform where you found this podcast to leave a review. If you are an uplifting woman or a man who champions women's success with a story to share, Kristen and Holly would love to talk to you. Please visit upliftingwomen.net and leave us a message.